personal accountability, that my word is my bond. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, but I honor my commitments. I feel doubly responsible for that one because I feel like, look, I'm teaching people these principles. And if I don't model them, this whole thing is a giant waste of time. It's like I'm I'm a snake oil salesman. I mean, I get that, you know, it's easier to talk about. So I feel like I've got to live this stuff. So for me, it's about personal accountability. That is by far the first thing. You know, I love the quote from Albert Schweitzer who said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. <laughs> so. It's just like how, so I just know that I have to walk my talk and talk my walk. And if those things aren't congruent, I'm just out of luck. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have live on the line Allah Hunskin. Hunkins, are you there? I am. It's nice to see you. Yeah. See you, Richard. I'm really excited to be with you today. Awesome. And hopefully I, uh, I did an okay job with your, your French name. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not the, you know, it wouldn't be the first person who has had to struggle with my name. So, yeah. So you want to know something that cracks me up is I have a really basic name, right? Like Richard is not very difficult to pronounce, but more often than you would ever imagine, I tell people my name is Richard and they respond with, oh, Robert. And I'm like, I don't understand where you're hearing Robert when I say Richard, but probably no less than several hundred times in my life has that happened. And it's always Robert. So, yeah, well, it, that's a really good example, Richard, of just people are not as rational as we think we are. I mean, there's there's reasons that we are flawed as communicators, and that just points to it partially. Yeah, yeah that's one of them. So speaking of what I want to do real quick is uh, do a, a quick introduction for uh, for my audience who may or may not know who you are, and then sure. we'll uh, dive into your story. Um, so Allah is a uh, sought after keynote speaker, facilitator and coach. Um, and you're a leadership expert who connects the science of high performance with the performing art of leadership. So what I want you to do for me real quick, Allah, is tell me a little bit about what your business does, who you serve, um, and sort of like what your primary problems you solve are. Sure. Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO of Hunkins Leadership Group. And what I'm about is helping people who are high performers become high performing leaders. Anyone who ever worked with a bad boss in the world knows that being good at something and being able to lead others is two different skill sets. So I work with individuals, teams, and organizations, either through training or coaching or consulting or speaking, on basically breaking down the magic behind, ooh, great leaders, what do they do? Breaking it down into its component parts and helping people to understand the challenges to implementing those behaviors and giving them specific tools so they can become more effective. How that plays out 
is either individually or with teams or with companies, what we look at is we get higher levels of productivity, higher levels of profitability. We have increased levels of engagement, lower levels of turnover. And so the list goes on. I mean, clearly when people work in environments with better leaders, better things happen. So my work is all about creating better results through better leadership. Uh, absolutely. So you said something that stuck out to me, uh, mostly because it's very close to something I tell people all the time. You said that uh, being good at something doesn't always necessarily lead to being good at leading other people to do the same thing. Uh, but one of the things that uh, that I've done for the longest time is I help people, uh, I help clients build education systems right, that they can then turn around and sell to people who want to learn whatever it is they're teaching. Uh, and one of the things I've discovered is that the overwhelming majority of people who are really, really good at doing a thing um, are not good at teaching other people how to do that thing, right? Um, and the, the, the skill of teaching sounds to me like it's very similar to the skill of leading others um, in terms of like actually getting a, getting a task published. What do, you, what do you think about that? Oh, absolutely it is. In fact, my background is I think of myself as an adult educator. And that really, I never think of myself as so much as a teacher as I facilitate the learning of others, right? Which is a different reframe, right? So it's how do you help people to do that? And I find that in terms of, I think, as you said, many people can't explain what they do well to others. It's because most of us are too stuck. We're in it. And so it's, it's equally as important to know how you do what you do as opposed to just what it is because otherwise you have no perspective. And so leaders need to be able to rise up to what we'll call the balcony and see the big picture and see how all the systems interconnect and interrelate and then also to rise back down to the dance floor and get in there and dance and do the detail stuff and, and help people alongside because sometimes we're leading from out front. Sometimes we're leading from the side. Sometimes we're leading from behind. And part of leadership wisdom is to know the difference of when you should do what part of it. Absolutely. So I have a couple of couple of questions on that. So the first one um, is just an, an observation. And the observation for me is that, uh, um, you know, you called it you called it getting up onto the balcony and being able to see it from the top. And one of the things that I've always, I, I refer to that as, as learning how to, uh, um, how to separate um, the stimulus Right. Yes. So, you know, anything that is uh, that we've mastered, um, you don't have to think about all the steps. Between, right. So if I yes. were to stuck a chocolate bar at you right now, you know, your your hand would go up in the air and you catch the chocolate bar and, you know, your salivary gans would start going. You have chocolate now. Right. All those things would happen with no mental like interaction. Right. Yes. You, didn't, you didn't calculate the trajectory of the thing, you know, <laughs> in your head. You didn't put your hand in the right spot. Like it all just happened. Um, and it's because you, you've mastered all of the skills in there so far that the stimulus and the response are immediate. And if I'm hearing you correctly, what a leader needs to learn how to do is they need to learn how to separate those and pull them apart, the stimulus from the response, and see all the decisions that are happening, right? All the little things that are happening, you know, so they can teach someone else. When, you're, you know, when, when you get this stimulus, here's how we're making these decisions. Here's how we're making these decisions. Does that sound right? Oh, it sounds completely right. Yeah. I mean, as you think about that, the way you describe that, that makes me think about you might be familiar with the spectrum of what they call conscious and unconscious competence, right? Is that the fact is, when someone is a brand new, they have no idea how to do anything, we can call them unconsciously incompetent, right? That they don't know what they don't know, and they can't do anything. And then someone says, Hey, you know, we're going to teach you how to, let's say, fly a plane. And then like, this is how it works. And you realize, oh, I now know that I can't do that. 
So you're now consciously incompetent. Right? <laughs> and then what you need to do is then learn how like the steps, or you could say for driving a car, I mean, anything, any of these steps. And then you get to a place where if you remember back to being in driver's ed, we'll switch from the plane to yeah. the car so more people can connect to this one. But if you learn, remember that those first moments of like, okay, turn, you know, like put your foot on the brake hands here, like in the amount of mental focus that every single little step at that point, you're trying to develop conscious competence. Well, fast forward 20 years later, or 10 years later, and you're driving and hopefully you're not checking your cell phone and turning the radio on and eating a sandwich. And you know, this is all happening at the unconscious competent level. And so what you just said, Richard is, yeah, so if you want to train or lead others and help them learn how to do this, you need to step back out of unconscious competence and step back into the conscious piece, and then break down the competency into its component behaviors so that you can teach others and bring them along this journey of competence with you. Yeah. So my, my secondary question, I think, ties dovetails really nicely into that. And that is when it comes to leadership, a lot of times you are stuck in a place where the thing that you need to have your team do is something that you do not have skills in. You have no level of competence at all in doing that thing. So one of the things that's really common in our world is design work, right? A lot of people are like design work is a very creative thing. And you need to, you know, um, you need to, to hire a designer to do that. But when you're trying to lead, say your design team, if you're not a designer, that's just an example, but there's a lot of different things, right? Maybe it's coding, maybe it's, you know, something that's going on where, where you're like, I need this thing to happen in my business. But the only thing that I know that it needs to happen is that it needs to happen. Not, I don't know, I don't have any of this, the confidence in there. So how do you how do you lead in, when you're in that capacity? Oh, I love this question. This is great. So how you lead in this capacity is you know where you want to get to. So what you need to do is actually coach the skilled person to give you signposts to know if they're actually on the way to get you where you want to go. What I mean by this is, let's say, for example, like this user example of design work, and I'm not a designer, let's say, but I know I bring in these designers. So first of all, I know what I need at the end. So the first thing I want to establish is the end in mind. Here's our target. And let me explain when this is all working, these are the things that we can do. And getting your designer, whoever you're hiring, to agree to that. Great. So then you say to them, help me to understand. And this is what the, the part that a lot of leaders have a hard time with, because this means lowering your status and your ego, because you have to admit, I don't know everything. So great, help me to understand, walk me through what the process of this is going to look like going from where we are now to this end result. Thank you. So they walk you through that. Great. Can you now walk me through what are some key milestones of things that we know that we're getting so we can achieve along the way? And so you have them walk that. And great. So you say, thank you. Let's build in some checkpoints about how things are going with the milestones and you can explain this. So that way you're not completely in the dark and at the whim of someone who's an expert and you have no idea, but what you've actually had them do is you've had them scope out the project and build in the project timelines and status update points for you. And you're just checking in to make sure they're on track, even though you have no skills. So that's the way I focus on it, but that takes a lot more communication skills that a lot of people have because you have to be really clever because most of us tend to rely on, but I just know how to do this. So that's where you'd go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know I just, I just had a friend who went through this experience. And I remember coaching him through the process where he's like, he wanted to get something coded and developed for his company. Um, and he hired someone to do it. And I was walking through and he came back. He's like, he's asking me a question that I don't know the answer. Like, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to respond to him with this question. And I was like, what you need to do is tell them that's where you're at. Be like, I'm not a coder. I don't understand how you framed that question. Can you please explain these couple of words that I don't understand? 
um, so I have better context for it, right? So you actually, you know, you're, you might be leading the project, but sometimes you have to come down and, and be like, hey, you're the expert in this area, please educate me here, 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 so I can have a more informed conversation with you, right? Yeah. Um, and the more you do that with your team, the more you, that's where I think, at least, you're going to pick up a lot of those skills. Right? You don't have to necessarily be the one who's pushing the keyboard and becoming a, you know, a designer or becoming a coder, but you'll start to learn how to communicate in their language when you ask them to teach you their language. Absolutely. I mean, I think this, this idea of translating things from what's inside people's minds, whether that's the expert that is coming in to code, whether it's your customer, it's like, help me to understand what does this look like to you? And if people start throwing out language you don't understand, pause and say, help me understand. I don't get that. Can you explain that in a different way? Give me some examples, whatever it is. The challenge that I think so many entrepreneurs have is that we're afraid of looking stupid. We're afraid of going, oh, you know, like if I do that, what are they going to think about me? Well, what are they going to think about you if you build something wrong? I think they'd rather hear the question now than not. I mean, the typical example, I work in some midsize and large organizations. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have been through the experience where they're in a meeting and people start throwing out acronyms and they have no idea what the acronym is, but they're not, they're not comfortable speaking up and saying, excuse me, what, what did you just say? Because now we're speaking alphabet soup and no one knows what's going on. So yeah, we've got to lower the ego bar so that we can have conversations that lead to understanding as opposed to these conversations that are just about trying to impress people with how smart we are. Yeah, yeah. And I think for my own part, my years of experience doing this, my piece of advice for anyone who's listening to this conversation is the other person is not thinking about you. Right? Not at all. So, so it, they're not thinking about what, you know, how it's going to impact your ego. And probably what, the most likely outcome is that you're going to say, hey, I don't understand that. And they're going to feel good about themselves because they're like, oh, I know something that the leader in this case doesn't know. Right, and it'll make them respect you, and they'll feel good. It's a it's a win win kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm very much so. It's that it's that willingness to I call it go low status. You know, this whole you know one of the unspoken things around leadership is that in most places there's a power, there's a pecking order, there's a status, and where are you on that? And we send all sorts of spoken and unspoken signals around that. So as leaders, one way to invite other people's engagement is to lower our status consciously as opposed to just kind of going along. Cause it's so easy to fall into the traps of, cause I'm in charge, that's why. And I'll take this commanding voice and tell you this is, and you just follow me. And that's, that is so old school industrial age. It's kind of sickening. <laughs> yeah, so it reminds me of uh, one, one of the YouTube channels I watch, which I'm gonna plug them even though they don't even know who I am, um, is uh, Equip to Endure. And they talk about a lot of, uh, lot of man things. Right, things like how to protect your house, and how to fire a gun, all sorts of cool stuff like that. Right, um, tactical things. And one of the things he said in a video recently, which really stuck with me, was if you, he's like, you want to be the most dangerous person in the room, but you don't want to be, you don't want anyone else to know it. Right, <laughs> um, and the same kind of thing with the leader being the leader. You know, it's you, you may or may not be right. Like you know, the, the 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 head honcho in the room, the top guy in the room. But you want to conduct yourself like everyone else is better, faster, stronger, more expert than you are, right? And treat them that way. Um, and um, it, it'll help, I mean, at least it, it helps engender the, uh, the, the whole team aspect of getting things, getting things done. Oh, yeah. And certainly for the long term, it's really important. I mean, I, I like to say that we're trying to move away from being the commanders in chief 
to being the facilitators in chief. And some people have said, like, like facilitator, facilitator sounds so soft than command. I'm like, well, it's different. You've got to let go of your ego as the who wants to be seen. And if your primary objective in leading is about power and status and being seen, you're totally in it for the wrong reasons. And there's going to be a limit to growth because we are all basically being supported by relationships. And in the long term, you're going to be way more powerful and get way more status by actually enabling other people to come on this journey with you than trying to command them in some way. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. So I want to I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about how you got to the place where you teaching and helping other companies like that. We call this the uh, origin story, right? Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. You know, we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to teach leadership to companies? <laughs> or did you start in a job and eventually become an entrepreneur, basically? I don't know where you came from. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because certainly getting involved in training and teaching leadership isn't something that any five or six-year-old thinks about. It certainly wasn't something I even knew existed back then. But if I had to look at the common thread around my origin story, it's I have always been really interested in people, um, specifically what makes people tick and how do people impact other people with how they tick, right? how they behave. So that's really important. And as I look at like the through line beyond that, a lot of it has to do with my childhood. And, you know, I think a lot of us are impacted because our home life is our first organization that we work in, right? As a child, right? We're part of that team. And it was at the time, I didn't think it was unusual because it's just, it's what you know, it's all there is. So you think, oh, this is just the home I grew up in. Well, I found out later on that it was a fairly unusual place to be. And so I grew up in New York City. That's not unusual. I was raised by a single mom, also not unusual. The unusual part is that my mom and my grandmother, my mom's mom, who also raised me because my grandmother moved in with us when I was one, both my grandmother and my mom are Holocaust survivors. They're born in Belgium. And so that experience of surviving the war, my mom was in hiding from the time she was six until she was nine and a half, three and a half years separated through the Belgian underground. And then they were reunited. The rest of the family was killed. That shaped their experience of the world. And it certainly shaped their experience of how they raised me. And here I grew up in New York City. I went to public schools. And my experience at school and going to my friends' houses was so different from my own. And I think there was a part of me trying to reconcile, like, why is one of these things so not like the other? And so it got me interested in studying psychology. Like I was a kid, I was reading books about psychology, and I was reading like Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, who is the one who wrote, by the way, about between stimulus and response, there is a choice. And then that choice is your freedom, and that yeah. freedom is your yeah. power to choose. I know you're talking about stimulus and response. So for me, a lot of this was really informed by that experience. And what I found, and I ended up doing a personal development workshop when I was about 25, and I started realizing, oh my gosh, there are other people who have these rich internal lives because it's not something I'd ever talked about. But I walked away from this weekend training and I was just on fire. Like, oh my gosh, this sense of touching into my own innate potential was like getting bitten by the radioactive spider. Like, this is amazing. And the cool, so I wanted to get involved and I started volunteering to be a support, support, third level string facilitator to help just kind of observe, be a fly on the wall in these kind of personal growth trainings. And I went, oh my gosh, this is great. And what I found was there was nothing more satisfying 
than turning on the light bulb in somebody else, right? How do I kindle the fire of brilliance in somebody else? And that passion, I mean, I, I, to this day, there's really nothing that's much more exciting than that to me. Like, there's nothing that feels more rewarding, more meaningful. And so I started getting involved with this at the age of 24, 25. And I was doing educational training in schools. My background actually trained as a professional actor. And I got working with an arts and education company teaching kids conflict resolution skills and assertiveness training and all sorts of things in New York City. And then a friend of mine said, hey, have you ever thought about doing training in corporate groups? I thought, no, I never worked with corporate groups. So I ended up better too. It, exactly. So I, that was one of the things too, because I was literally working in schools. I was teaching five classes a day. And I think the day rate was, I think, 75 bucks a day was getting paid. So it was like, I was looking long term thinking this may not be so sustainable, you know. So anyway, I ended up switching. And then from there, I ended up working both in for profit and not for profit. I've just kind of worked with everyone and anyone, because the common denominator are people. So for me, just cultivating that. And then as I got into focusing on people, I realized that Oh, you know, I was interested in leaders because I thought leaders make a difference. And what I found through all of my practice and then my research is that leaders don't make a difference. Leaders are, in fact, they are the difference that they create so much of the variance in culture. And as you know, Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so getting the culture yeah, right, yeah. Getting, getting the behaviors right is so important. So that's what got me into leadership development. And that was about 20 years ago. And so it's been going ever since. So I guess that was the bug that bit me. <laughs> it's funny. I was actually on um, a podcast called Culture Eat Strategy based on that quote um, a few weeks ago. Um, cool. And talked about the same kind of things. But yeah, the, uh, so, so my, my interesting sort of question about that whole origin story is, is when did you sort of make the shift into turning it into a, a business where you're actively seeking clients? Um, and how does that transition go from learning how to, how to teach what it is you teach to learning how to run the whole like business aspect of it, right? Which is like, you know, having clients dealing with, you know, you know, payments and accounting and marketing and all the other stuff that goes into running a business, doing what you do. Yeah. So for me, I started in the doing the work itself, basically subcontracting out to other companies, right? So I was working, doing that stuff. And what I found was I was changing and upgrading their content, changing it all around. I was like, wait, I, I can do this myself. I, I could do. So I started reaching out to other people and they said, hey, come do this. So a lot of it was learning as I go. Like, oh, um, how do you invoice someone? You know, <laughs> what does that look like? What is, what is net? I remember like you're talking about asking stupid questions. What does net 30 mean? They said net 30. Like, what did I had to look that up? Like, oh, that's payment terms. I understand. I remember like, looking I, that up too. Yeah, of course. Like, so, so for someone's like, you know, offer net 30 terms? I was like, I, I don't know. Do I? Uh, do exactly exactly so you know figuring things like that so i think there's been a lot of you know it's it's kind of trial and error you try stuff and like oh that doesn't work like marketing branding i i've gone through so many iterations and i think it's 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 like they talk about your when i first got a website you know i kind of came up before the internet really was going and someone said you got to understand your website is like a painting that never dries you know there's constant iteration and i just love that idea of so many aspects of building a business are like a painting that never dries. And I think entrepreneurs that are really successful share at least, well, they share a bunch of stuff, but I think there's one superpower and it's not very sexy. It's 
consistent action, right? I'm sure you've talked about this with other people because it's such a, a key thing, which is, do you follow up? Do you do something every day to move your business forward? And do you look up to see how it's going every so often? You can't just work at the same stuff but, and then change your approach if it's not working and just keep, but you've got to try stuff. I'm amazed at how many people say, oh, you're going to go on podcasts. Like, what's the ROI on that? It's like, I'm in seed planting mode right now. Like when you're planting seeds, you're not pulling those seeds out of the ground and go, why aren't you growing yet? Like, so there's a season for all these things. And no, there's a time to reinvest. And so where am I researching? Where am I hiring somebody else to do something instead of doing it myself? Where does it make sense for me to do something myself? I mean, these are all the questions that I think all of us as entrepreneurs are continually asking. And, and there's no magic wand. It's trying to figure out what's working and then keep doing more of it. And but the, the key thing is consistent action. And because I don't know about you, Richard, I have found that where the opportunities end up coming from are never where I expected them from. Somebody's like, oh, you know, I heard you on this podcast or, never. oh, I read this book, you know, book or this, like, I would have never dreamed that I would have, you know, a few weeks ago, I found myself on a symposium panel that was being sponsored by the New Delhi Institute of Management, which is sort of like the Harvard Business School of India. And I got there through like a random, I was on a podcast and someone heard me and they said, hey, talk to this guy. And then before you know it, I'm doing this symposium panel. I'm making great friends with everyone. But I never would have dreamed of that a few months ago. So it's all a question of continuing to put yourself out there and doing stuff and making it happen. Yeah, yeah. And to, to further that point, one of the things that I've learned over the course of the last 10 years is that it is not about the volume of things that you do. It's about doing the right thing over and over and over again. Yes. Right. Um, so, um, and the, the hardest part about that is you don't always know what the right things are. Yeah. Which is where people get tricked into trying to do the whole volume of things. Maybe I'll just do everything um, yeah. and work myself till I die. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I found is when I started, you know, because early in my entrepreneurial career, I was the I was the kid who was, you know, well, if I work 15 hours a day um, and you know only take breaks sleeping and eating, um, then I'll get to where I want to go faster. Yeah. Um, and you find out that that doesn't actually work no. uh, because you're not actually focused on, on doing the right things. You're focused on doing, you, you've asked yourself the wrong question, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and when I started, when I started reducing the amount of time I was willing to work, um, my business started exploding. Um, so <laughs> what's interesting to me is that that consistent action it's not a consistent volume or consistent, consistent time. It's like consistently doing something that you, what you said earlier was it pushes your business forward, right? It doesn't yeah. have to push it forward far, right? Yeah. So I mean, like sometimes I've been like, if I've got stuff I want to get done with my family or, you know, we're traveling or exploring, right? You know, people who watch this show know that we travel full time. It's like, sometimes I'll be like, I want to finish this row of copy on our website. And if I accomplish that today, I'm, I'm good, right? And then tomorrow I'll come back and finish the next row of copy on the website, right? Yeah. And it's, it's like the stuff that I know needs to get done. And, um, and if you do, if you do something every day that pushes your, your business forward to the next stage, that stuff compounds really, really quick. And then the other thing that happens when you start restricting, like, Hey, I'm only going to work four hours a day, or I'm only going to work four days a week or whatever it is. You start thinking to yourself, okay, I don't have a lot of time to work today. What's the most important thing I can get done? Yeah. Um, and you ask yourself a better question. Right, and you start getting better answers, and you would be actually follow through on those things consistently. Really grows your business fast. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, all those things are so true, 
And like you said, you don't know what those right things are sometimes. And you, you know, so there is some, some trial and error. And you do need to try stuff. I mean, one thing that I, I think a mentor of mine told me said, you know, as you're picking those things, you also got to notice, like, for example, they said, yeah, you do need to network, but there's different ways in which you network. So I know that for me, going to a business networking international breakfast meeting four days a week, which some people love and love to like get out there and do that, I mean, a little harder when you're sort of locked in quarantine. But still, some people love that stuff. I mean, to me, I'd rather spend four mornings getting root canal. I mean, it's just, that's just, I'd rather do that. It's just not my thing. Whereas... Four podcasts instead. Yeah, exactly. Do exactly. I, I do four. I mean, I do four podcasts in a day because that, these, these energize me. I get to meet. So just knowing what is going to be something that you can sustain over time, because it's going to be really hard to do stuff long term when you're just thinking, "I'm doing this because someone said I should be doing this." And it's like it's not. That's not a great yeah, way yeah. to to continue. And and for me, one of the things like on that same line of thinking, when I found something I know that works that doesn't energize me, those are the things I know I need to hire. Yeah. Right? I need to get someone who's going to do those things for me. So I'm like, okay, this is working. I need to get it going. For me, if it's uh, everything that happens like on this podcast, I'm going to hit that stop and work button. Everything that happens on the other side of that, I would rather have a room now. Yeah. Um, so I have a team in place that handles all of that now. Um, yeah. And it makes this part, the part that I love doing, so much easier to get on my plate too every day. Right, yeah. Where I've got guests coming on three, four, five times a week. I'm working on other people's podcasts three, four, five times a week. Um, and it really helps push you out there. And, you know, to, uh, to your point, right, you know, if you do that consistently, we've been doing it consistently for a couple of years now, it, your business looks really different when you have 140 plus recorded interviews on your show and you've got 30, 40 plus interviews on other people's shows. People know who you are, yeah. right? Um, or if they don't know who you are and they look you up, you're everywhere, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that when you find something that works, um, you just have to, you know, if it doesn't energize you, you have to figure out a way to make sure that you can get it done, still get it done. And that's where, like, learning how to hire and become a leader in your own business comes in. Yeah, sure. Cool. So my next question for you, then, is about your superpowers. Right? So we say every iconic hero has a superpower, whether it's a fancy flying suit or, you know, the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? It's a skill or set of skills that either you were born with or developed over time that really energize everything else you do, right? So they're the ones, the common thread that sort of makes all of your skills sort of come together. Um, and, you know, for you, it helps, it helps you, um, helps your, helps people play the villains in their life. Yeah. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is? Interesting. So can I say that I'm able to blow things up? No, <laughs> that, that wouldn't be it. That's just when I, when I make mistakes. No, actually, I think, so for me, my superpower, and this is true, whether it's writing a book or it's when I'm coaching or I'm speaking, is I have the ability to take complex ideas and create, not just make them simple, but make them super engaging and actionable. And I do that through telling stories. You know, constantly. So for example, when I start like the beginning of my book, it's the same story as I share in my TED talk, which is around, you know, the point what I wanted to make was that leading is complex and leaders aren't necessarily very good. And I found this amazing story that in 2007, the leaders of this large, well-known organization had this problem where their customer service wasn't keeping pace with their customer expectations. And so they did 87 page strategic report and they found that the biggest issue was that their customers felt like they were waiting in line too long. 
And so what did they decide to do in their infinite wisdom? They took all the clocks out of their retail lobbies. That's how they dealt with it, right? There's a, the U.S. Post Office. True story. This actually happened. The, the, the U.S. Post Office, and out of 23 That's lobbies, amazing. it's amazing. Right? You read that story. I was like, oh, this is such a good story. So, like, I use it. But, again, it brings it to life of, you know, shake my head, you know, SMH, shake my head. Oh, I can't believe that leaders do that. Yes, I can, because leaders do stupid stuff. So, again, it just it stays with you because the power of storytelling. So I'd say my superpower is taking concepts and bring them and engaging people in the process. Remember, I trained as a performing artist, as an actor. So like part of this is bringing people on the journey with me and being excited for them too. Because ultimately what I want is people to be excited about their own potential and seeing glimmers of it coming to life right here and right now. Absolutely. So I, I love that skill that superpower, so to speak. It's, um, it's one of my, my favorite, favorite things that, uh, that I, I do as well. I call, I call it putting the, putting the cookies on the lower shelf. Uh, right. So you make it accessible to everyone. So, yeah. that, so the toddler can get the, uh, can, can get the Oreos. One of the things that I had, I had a mentor say to me once, which just blew my mind, uh, at the time was, and, but you know, after you hear it, you're like, Oh, of course that's totally true. But he, he was like, any information you give someone, how-to information, why-to information, anything that you give them, information without stories um, is just data, right? And so he was like, it's, it's, uh, if you want to, um, it's like, you know, it's like, it's just a nail, right? Yeah. He's like, if you want to drive it home, you have to have the hammer and the stories are what drive the drive the nail in. It's what actually makes things work. Otherwise, you just are giving people a box of nails. Yeah. Um, and so, so the 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 ability to connect the information that you want someone to have with a story um, is the key aspect of helping someone learn, and then most importantly, implement on it. Right? Because without the stories, they just have data in their head. They're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. Um, so that's a one of the things that I've, I've been fascinated by is like how, how that works with people. I love that analogy, by the way, of the hammer and the nail with the nail being data and, and the stories being the hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it, it, the stories drive things home. And right. So, so for, for me, I tell people that, uh, you know, humans are a story born people, right? So we, we judge everything on stories, right. You know, particularly our relationships, right. So, you know, you and I are, closer friends than we were when we started because we shared some stories with each other, yeah. right? And the, the more stories we share with each other, the closer we, our relationship becomes, right? Yeah. And that goes from, you know, an acquaintance is someone whose name you know, but story you don't, right? A friend might be someone who you, you know some stories from each other. A best friend might be someone who you have shared all of your stories together already, right? And you can't tell them any new stories they haven't already heard. So the only way to deepen your relationship is to create new stories together, right? To have experience. Exactly. Um, and that's so that works in relationships, but it's also it's it's how human beings interact with their world. We interact via story. Yeah. Um, so being able to educate and teach um via story is such an important skill. Yes. That's terrific. And I think also when friends are so good that they know each other's stories, I guess the other thing you can do that's fun is you can find new people and tell those stories together. <laughs> Because that's always a fun. That's also like, true, right? It's like, oh well, you tell your no, you you tell it this time. You, now you tell it, so it's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the uh, the flip side then of 
of the superpower is your fatal flaw. Right? So, you know, every Superman has a kryptonite. Every Wonder Woman has their bracelets of victory. They can't remove without going mad. You probably have a flaw in your life or in your business that's held you back, something that you've struggled with. You know, for me, a couple of things that I struggled with over, over time, things like perfectionism, um, that keep, kept me from shipping product or a lack of self-care, which meant I let my clients walk all over me. Um, or, you know, probably my biggest one is being a, uh, a visionary, but being really, really bad at the minutia. So I didn't have the discipline to implement all the things that I wanted to get done. Um, but more important than the flaw, I think, is how have you worked to rectify it? So people who are listening to the show might learn a little bit from your experience. Yeah, that's funny. I can, I can resonate with a few of your flaws there. So thank you for the, 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 the honesty on that, Richard. So for me, I sometimes describe myself as a recovering perfectionist. And there's a couple of pieces to that. And that had for a long time held me back because I felt that somehow if I didn't get it right, then I shouldn't put it out there. And in my mind, right was this, I had put the bar so high, it kept me from trying stuff. It was easy just to, oh, it's not going to happen, not going to happen. And then the flip side of that was I would spend so much time focusing on getting one little thing right. I was like shining, shining like this little tiny gem. It's like realizing, oh, you realize a whole truckload of other gems just went by while you were so busy shining the one. So I just, I, I was losing perspective. And I had this great mentor who said something to me, he said, Ella, you know what your problem is? Is that you approach everything like you're trying to get 100 on a test. And there's a lot of tests in life that are just pass-fail. Like you don't need to get 100 on lots of pass-fail tests. And I got to say, that sounds kind of pretty obvious, but it hit me like a ton of bricks at the time. Because I was like, oh my gosh, that so sounds like me. Because yeah, I would worry about those the littlest things. And how is this going to seem? And how is that going to seem? And you know, it's just that you, what I have found is the best entrepreneurs in a lot of ways, actually, they don't have too much of that self-reflection because you ha yes, you need to reflect, but then you need to execute and drive and go. Like you said, ship, like let's get this going and let's learn from the active iteration of doing it yeah. as opposed to- Ship and iterate. Yeah, ship and iterate, exactly. As, as opposed to, oh, what do you think? And what are they, like, we don't know. And in fact, we won't know. There's no way we're gonna be able to figure it out. So us just spending more time ruminating and going over this again and again is not gonna lead us there. So for me, that has definitely been uh, a fatal flaw. And I'd also say connected with that early on, I was a, a big part of my upbringing. And I was, I was a really good student in school. And you know, in school, if you do good work, you get good grades and you get seen and promoted in that. And then when you get out of school, those rules don't apply. And as someone said to me, unfortunately, too many of us live under the myth that good work should speak for itself. I said, look, if good work spoke for itself, the field of marketing wouldn't exist. The fact is you do need to toot your own horn and you got to find the right way to do that so it doesn't come across too obnoxious. But if you just do great work, but no one knows about it, it's like the work didn't exist. And so the willingness to put yourself out there and frame what you do in a way that's of value to other people is a really important skill. And I wish I had learned that sooner and I'm still working on getting better at it. So that's, yeah, those are a yeah. couple of my, my flaws, I'd say. So, so on the, on the first one, the uh, perfectionist thing, I had the, the, the metaphor that hit me like a ton of bricks that really helped me with that was a, a, another friend and a you know, close friend of mine said that uh, he was like, you know, Richard, um, perfectionism is the lowest standard you can hold yourself to. Hmm. That's interesting. And I was like, and I was, and I was like, ow, like why? And she was like, cause it doesn't exist. You can't hit it. 
Yeah. Right? So if it doesn't exist, you can't hit it. It's the lowest possible standard. You're setting yourself up to not do anything, right? Um, to not ship. And and if it's if, if if that's your goal, if your goal is to not ship, if your goal is to not make a difference, your goal is not to help people, then sure, go for perfection. That's the lowest goal you can have. And it was a it was like a, a shift in my head. I was like, oh wow, I am definitely not helping people by striving for perfection or right now. And so it was just like not a That's in yeah that's intense it's funny even as you say that to me like that's the lowest standard you can have part of me goes oh gosh yeah you're right uh yeah so i totally i totally i totally get that one you feel feel it in your gut you're like oh when you when you get a that's the whole the whole point story thing right when you have a story that drives it home you're like oh there yeah. you go i get it now totally. uh, and so for me one of the things that i did to overcome that was learning how to take the last little bit of something and pass it off to someone else on my team, right? Whether that is publishing the episode or pushing the publish button on the article or saying, hey, read this over and if it's good, you know, get it up on the website or whatever it is. Um, it, it's just taking, it's taking the shipping part off of my plate and having a team who's responsible for the shipping thing because then I can't get myself into my own like, oh, I can tweak it a bit more. And by yeah. a bit more, I mean for the next three years. Right. Yeah, because it's never done. Um, like, like you said, there's no there, there there's no perfect, so there's no point in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's it's a painting that never dries, so I can always make a few more adjustments, right? Yeah, yeah. So have <laughs> so, you found? So how how have you dealt with that? Well, one of the things, yeah, as I was going to say, one of the things like, on that front, one thing I've done is I've let people into the process sooner. So I show earlier drafts of work to more people. I'm just like, hey, take a look at this. Because part of me is like, yeah, you know what? It is a second or third draft that you're looking at. And I won't show them a first draft because they're usually terrible. To, and I need to edit if I'm writing something. But uh, that is getting people more involved earlier and just being, it's the work. Like realizing you're giving me feedback on the work you're not giving me feedback on my own inherent self-worth as a human being. And learning how to separate those things out is so important. I think for everyone, it's like, how can you learn to bring other people on? Because like, none of us is as smart as all of us. And so the more I can get good minds looking at the stuff and moving things forward, and like you're saying, trusting other people with stuff, like, great, go with it. And let's make that happen. So that's where I go, yeah, yeah. Open, opening them up into the process sooner. So on, on your second point, the learning how to market yourself, right? So doing good work doesn't speak for itself, I believe is what you said. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's such an interesting thing because I've never heard anyone say that before, but it's such a true thing. Um, and I remember uh, growing up as a kid, um, I was one of the kids that, you know, if I if I tried at all, um, school was super easy for me, right? It was, it was like written and designed for people who have my type of personality. Yeah. Um, and so school was, it was, it was so easy that I didn't care. Um, and uh, I realized pretty early on that good work does speak for itself. Um, and so it's something I've always sort of had in my head. And I'm curious just because I'm in the process of raising four children. How do you teach that message? How do you teach the message that good work doesn't speak for itself? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think good work Wow. In the parenting thing, I think it has to do with the fact that I think that there's a developmental cycle where 
like certainly in a, in a family system and as well as in school systems, there's a certain amount of hopefully good work does speak for itself. It's almost like you need the structure of that first before you can create the variation, which is it doesn't speak for itself. Because ultimately, let's face it too, yes, you need marketing, but ultimately, after you've gotten someone's attention and they open up the package and they look inside and they go, yeah, that's kind of stinky, it's kind of stinky. So you need to have the good work too. So I don't think it's an either or, I think it's a both and. It's a question of priorities. It's just thinking that one can exist without the other is kind of crazy. So I think, yeah, I mean, think about it from the parenting point of view, it's, well, I'm just thinking about, you know, I'm thinking, I have a 13-year-old daughter now. Um, and I mean, I've had her for 13 years, but she's, she's 13 now. <laughs> um, and it makes like, I suddenly have this 13-year-old daughter. No, I've had her for a while, and now she's now 13. And I just look at her social life. And I have a 16-year-old son too, but my daughter's social life is way more complicated. And I hear that's pretty true of girls in general. But I just think about how she needs to kind of, we'll call it, we'll call it marketing, but just in terms of which friends are going to spend time with who and how that works. There's a lot of thinking about all that stuff that's going on. Now, ultimately, what's, what's that? Like, I ask her, like, well, what do you want? Because it's really easy for her to get caught up in what her friends think about her, and she loses sight of what she herself actually wants. And I think as entrepreneurs, to take that analogy is everyone's going to tell you, you know, what's, what's your success? Like, so like, what's your, you know, what's your income stream going to look like? And how much do you want to make this month or that? What's your vision for this? Or in five years, what you're going to do? And, you know, there's so many other people that can tell you, try to define for you what success looks like. And ultimately, we've all got to define that for ourselves, right? And so that looks like different things for different people. Yeah, yeah. I know it's been, it's been an interesting thing for, for myself. One, learn, so the, I think that good work speaks for itself and the perfectionism go along hand in hand a lot because one of the things that like I struggled with was I want something to be perfect so that the work speaks for itself. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and then you realize that like, if it's perfect and you put it out there, it doesn't speak for itself. Right. Cause nobody cares. Right. If you build it, nobody comes, you still have to build the roads to it, put up the signs and invite the people to come. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, and you still want it to be good when they show up. Um, but it's, it's been an interesting thing both to learn in my own life um, and in my own business. And then also like in the prime in the process of like trying to educate my children that, Hey, you have to have good work. Um, but more importantly than having good work, you also have to, like, you have to be able to talk about it, right? You have to be able to, um, to, oh, I don't know what the word is in the, uh, that I'm looking for here, but you have to be able to, to hold up your work and show it to someone else and basically, like, walk them through it and walk them yeah. through, like, why it's good and why it'll help them and why it'll, uh, um, make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise, you know, uh, I find myself, doing that a lot in the parenting world where I'm like, hey, you have to do the dishes, right? Here's the story for that, but here's why you have to learn how to do it. Do a good job of it. You have to, you can't just force them to do good work. You have to also tell them the reasons why they need to do it. Yeah. And I think also is to catch them doing it right and giving them some praise along the way. You know, I think often as parents, it's so easy to energize negativity is to notice the things that aren't working. Like, wow, you didn't do this. Wow, you didn't do this. But like, how often do we see parents energizing positivity? Like, wow, you did the dishes. That's amazing. Like, usually you don't get that much, you don't get that kind of affect and energy coming at that. So it's really supporting that. Like, hey, you know, I really, I really appreciate the fact that you did that. 
Um, in fact, this morning I was, my daughter did something. I'm trying to, oh, she brought her laundry hamper back up to her room. So just even just noted, yeah, it's sort of expected, but just like, hey, thanks for bringing your hamper up and didn't leave, not leaving it down there. So it's just catching those things as you go. It's, it's really important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, um, and I think it probably has a lot to do with the same thing that you do with your team as well. Uh, but I've noticed, like, I, I make it a practice. Like, my kids have a list of chores, and then I will tell them to do the thing. And then as soon as they do it, I thank them for doing it. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly, exactly. Thank you so much for getting that done. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah. it it engenders a whole different type of response to to getting work done. Yeah, you know, as you say all this, Richard, it reminds me that you know we talked about perfectionism, and that we think that good work should speak for itself. But the other piece, and this this is another, I will call it a flaw, fail flaw that I've learned about, is you need to develop relationships with other people. So when it's time to show them the work, that they're there, right? Because otherwise you're doing all this stuff in a vacuum. And so let's say, for example, you do this great work and you have this book, but then you have no network to promote it to. You have So it's this whole sense of what are you doing to cultivate those relationships with other people? And doing it from this place of, I want to be of help. Because you can't wait until the work is out. It's kind of like those people that only go on social media to post their own stuff, but never comment on anybody else's. So it's the challenge is how do you continue to nurture and cultivate relationships for the long term? And that's something yeah, I wish yeah. I, I, knew, I, I knew sooner. To, to your point earlier that you made that uh, uh, you can't, uh, I'm going to lose what I was going to say, but your, your ability to Put it out there and like get someone to to do you know come and like be a part of it it's going to come from um you know you have to actually like build a network of people you can't have you can't be looking at what the roi is now yeah because right? the roi is going to come later when yeah. you know when you've built all the relationships and you have the huge network of people whether that's coming you know going to your bni group and you have the whole local community who knows who you are or if it's building a podcast like this one or going on podcasts like you're doing um, you're building those network of relationships so that when you do pull off something, which I believe you're going to be talking at the end of this podcast about something you're launching, you have sure. people to share it with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's it's putting in the work. That's part of the work too. It's building those relationships up over time. And how do you find ways to to not just have them once, but just sustain them in some way? And and that takes some some thinking and thinking through smartly. So my next question for you then is about your common enemy. And I always love this question. But because, you know, every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's the thing they constantly have to fight against in their world. Right? In the world of business, it takes a lot of forms. But generally speaking, I put it in the context of your clients, right? The people you work with every day. Um, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're constantly having to do battle against, right? Have to fight to overcome so that you can get those clients better, cheaper, faster, higher degree of results. What is that thing you're constantly sort of like banging your head against the wall and going, damn, if I had a magic wand, I could just bop all my clients on the head with it and get rid of this. What would that be? Oh my gosh! I would say <laughs> I'm sure everyone can relate to this. I'd say one of the big nemeses around this is there's people like, oh, you've got to come and work with our organization, and then I come in and like, okay, tell me what the issue is, and always like when the issue is like well, this, we need this, this, this. It's like okay, but you know who's? It's always they end up pointing the finger at somebody else, but it's not me. You no, know, I don't need your work. Somebody else needs it, right? You know, you, somebody else has to do yeah. this. See, so, and it's amazing how the blame game gets passed. It's like people will say, mid-level managers are like, well, we would, but, you know, the senior managers don't. And I go to the senior manager like, oh, you know, I would, but the executive team, they really don't. Go to the executive team, oh, but it's the CEO. So I go and interview the CEO, 
who you think is the buck stop here. Well, you understand, I have a board and shareholders to report to. <laughs> it's just, there's always someone else out there that somehow we could all, if we could only do this, but, you know, or, you know, and part of this too is people just, they don't want to let go of, well, that's the way the game is played. It's like, so for example, I'm working with, and this is a very common one, particularly in, you know, once you get outside of smaller companies, but in like midsize and large companies where they're coming up with departmental budgets and everyone knows this budget game. It's like, well, you know, if I, I got a hundred to do what I did last year, but uh, you know, if I ask for a hundred, I'll only get 80. So I'll ask for 130 and they'll probably budget 110 and I'll find ways to do it. And then I'll definitely have my hundred to get what I need done. And there's this kind of back and forth. You know, it's a kind of a, a kind of back and forth. And, and if you say to people, well, what if you had trust and relationships that when you said to somebody, when I say 100, 100 actually means 100. So you didn't have to do all these extra rounds of this. Like, but you don't understand. That's the way the game is played. Now, I'm not so naive to think that you can just go and just say that to anybody. But to me, and this is part of the nemesis too, is I think that particularly in businesses, we put up these walls around ego and it's like, oh, I, I can't show them. I, I can't let them see me sweat. I can't, you know, it's like, I say, here you go. Like, take a look. Like, I'm sweating. Like, this is vulnerable. This is real life. This is human. And I hope that actually coming out of this pandemic in 2020, people realize, guess what? These are people here. Like, you're probably seeing them on a Zoom screen with a dog or a, a child running through because they're all home together. It's like, you know, there always was life and work and they're all together. It's called life. So to me, really, I mean, I'm kind of, digressing <laughs> around this, but they're connected to me. Because I think ultimately what it comes down to is how can we, if we say that we want to unlock potential, is are we willing to hold up the mirror? You know, I mean, some people are, and particularly the more senior you go in organizations, the more challenging it gets, because let's face it, people get comfortable. So there's this kind of weird entropy comfort zone. And I think it's that comfort zone that has people push things off. And people are really good at coming up with excuses for why they won't do stuff. And I think the real challenge is to go, all right, I want to work at this and I need some help and I could use some support. And so that's one of the things I work against is kind of that entropy that people hang out in that comfort yeah. zone and want to blame somebody else. So so just to bring it back into the uh, parenting world, one of the things that tells me son all the time, he's 10 years old, I love the crap out of that boy, but um, is that if it's not his fault, he can't fix it. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I say that to him mostly because I have to say it to myself all the time. Exactly. Because uh, <laughs> uh, if it's not my fault, I can't fix it. Uh, you know, and, it, and so, so everything that's wrong in my life, doesn't matter what it is, right? If, if, you know, my wife is having a bad attitude, if I got a client who's upset, if I, you know, my, my dog has diarrhea, it doesn't matter what it is. It's always my fault, right? Yeah. And if it's my fault, then I have the power to fix it, right? Whether that's changing the diet for the dog or, or figuring out what's going on with the wife so I can help, you know, help her through whatever, you know, or apologizing to a client because we fucked it up, right? Yeah. The, uh, the, it's always my fault. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, so it's one of those things I always have to tell myself, yeah. right? Like, you know, because the first time something comes up and you're like, that it's uncomfortable whether it's a question or a discussion or something that's coming from a client, your first, your first instinct is always like, yeah, it's over there. And you have to like suck it up and be like, nope, whatever this is, it's my fault. I, yeah. I have to fix it. Right. Even if it's the client screwed up, if the client screwed up, the client screwed up. Yeah. it needed to have happened. Right. 
It's yeah. always got to be my fault or I have no power in the situation. Now that's Richard, that's a great example of what we call like an empowering belief, right? That may or may not be true a hundred percent in all situations, but by believing it and holding that, it gives you so much more power to actually start to be proactive and do something about it. And what a valuable thing for any entrepreneur who wants to make things happen, happen, right? To make that happen. Like, yeah, it's it's my fault. I can do something about it. Yeah, my fault. I can do something about it. It's the, it's the same thing, like the whole, it's, it's one of those, you know, the customer's always right kind yeah. of belief. Yeah. Right? The customer may not, it's, most of the time, it's probably not right, right. Right. But if you treat them like they are, you have a chance of saving their relationship. Yeah, um, exactly. Or, or more importantly, if you treat them right publicly, then your other customers see that and stay customers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's one of those, it's an empowering belief kind of thing. You just have to realize that, you know, sometimes you just have to suck it up and say, hey, you know what, it's my fault. How do I fix it? Yeah. And I think that starting with that also, then you start creating new solutions. As you say this, I'm, I'm reminded. So I was just, I, I met with a, a new a prospective client and we sat and did a whole conversation over the phone for me to come in and do leadership training for their company. And he sat and walked through about five or six different things. And I was taking notes as I do. And I was asking follow-up questions, but he got into this whole thing of, you know, I really need my team to be um, more innovative. And I took a couple notes and I read through them after the call and I went, I don't really know what this means to them enough. And I thought, well, I could make something up for the proposal. I said, no, I'm just gonna go back and get on a, like a, sec say, a second email and say, hey, you said these things about innovation. As I'm reading through this, I'd love to know more. Can you share more? I'm happy to jump on a phone call or can you email it to me? And realizing there's a part of the old part of me would have been, Oh, you know, you can't do that because you have to look like you're the, the super consultant and have this figured out when in fact, no, it's just like you're saying, it's like, reach out. This is, this is my fault. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to ask somebody. And frankly, if somebody came back to me with a courteous email, who's like wanting more information to write a better proposal, hats off to you, you know, <laughs> it's, that's, so it's just reframing how we think people are going to think about us. Yeah, yeah. And they, again, so that the reality is they're probably not thinking about you. And you sent the email back, they're like, oh, yeah, like, there we go. Yeah. Um, and, and the realization that like, for in that particular case, it's, it's you're learning to ask better questions, and yeah. other smart entrepreneurs recognize better questions. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and the moment you ask someone a better question, it, it elevates the level of discussion, people have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a cool thing. Cool. cool. So I want to I want to talk about the flip side then of the common enemy, which is your driving force, right? So if your common enemy is what you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for. So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it that you fight for with your business? Yeah, this is a simple one because I'm pretty clear on this one for quite some time. So for me, yeah, what I'm fighting for is to create this very empowered, vibrant, alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people by unlocking their leadership potential. I mean, that's what gets me. That's my mission. That's my purpose. That's what gets me out of bed every day. It's what I think about when I go to sleep and reflect on my day. And I think, did I get to live my mission today? And I'd say nine and a half times out of 10, I get to say, yeah, I did in some way, you know, I'm getting to do it right now with you, for example. So it's like, yep, I get to live it right now. So, so, so I, I like, I like the phraseology used there, kindling the fire of leadership. Um, and it, it strikes me as a, one, one of the things that I tell people all the time is that, uh, you know, one of the reasons we create and are creative is we have that spark of divinity, mm -hmm. right. Um, in us, 
um, and it's what allows us to have and create value for other people. Um, so just in in terms of, of your mission, your mission sounds to me almost like it has a bit of that ripple effect going for it, where you're, if I can help this organization, the amount of good that that organization can then go on and do um, is, is humongous. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there's probably, there's no accident that it's, I'm not trying to kindle the water of brilliance. I mean, fire does spread, right? It's got that, that, that flammable sense that just a little match, a little flame can start to do something and start to spread. And, and the other piece for me around this about kind of kindling the fire, if you think about when you make a fire, when you look for bits of kindling, like what is kindling? Kindling is dead wood. And the idea is I like to think that a lot of us have dead tired belief systems that we actually have to we actually have to mourn and release so that we can embrace these new beliefs and so i think a big and this is the part of the work that i think a lot of people are uncomfortable with because we want to say oh just be a better communicator be a better collaborator help your team to work together we don't stop and go hey what are those limiting beliefs that you have that are getting in your way you need to actually take those out and un uncover them look at how they're not serving you and then find a really good way to to burn them so that you can create some new beliefs to take their place. And so to me, that is a big part of unleashing people's potential is the willingness to really burn up those parts that no longer serve you. Because, you know, yeah, I figured, yeah. you know, you can't fill, you, you can't put anything else in a full cup. And so you've got to get rid of the stuff that's not serving so, you anymore. One of my uh, favorite companies, um, just because I love their story and I love how they do their marketing and they do their product development is Apple Computer. I guess they're just Apple now. Um, and one of the things that fascinated me, I've read all their history all the way back to when they started, and like, you know, paid pretty close attention to all their device releases. And every time they have a major release of something, um, they, they are one of the companies that will um, intentionally cut things off mm -hmm. before they, you know, when, when, they, when they stop serving their purpose. Like, um, and I am, but like they took FireWire out to replace it with USB and they cut um, floppy disks with CD drives. They took CD drives out to put in SSD hard drive, right? Um, and all those things happened significantly before the market was quote unquote ready for it. Um, but it allowed them to push the envelope forward rapidly, right? And we all, we all um, benefit from their desire to get rid of things that are no longer serving them to 100%, right? If it's not like taking in the next four or five years, they cut it off, whether or not you know, the rest of the industry thinks they should keep it. Yeah. Um, and I always love that myself. And I, I think, I think things like, you know, in my own business and in my own life, like is, does this, does this serve me now? And if it doesn't, is it worth cutting out and getting rid of? Um, mm -hmm. And that whole philosophy has it's turned me into a minimalist. Yeah. Right. So um, my as people who watch the show regularly, they have probably noticed I only own three button up shirts. You only ever see this one and a gray one or, or a, a black one or a red one. That's it. That's all I own. Um, and, and like my entire wardrobe is in a single drawer in my uh, in my desk over here because that's, that's how I live my life. But it's like if it doesn't serve me, I don't I don't keep it. So I always try to figure out you know how do you how do you keep everything in your life? Whether it's the relationships, if it's your clothes, if it's your tools, if it's the stuff that you have stuff in your closet, um, if it's you know the the, the things that your your products and services offering your business they're not serving now and serving the, the future plans of your business and you cut them out and get rid of them so you can move forward that's terrific yeah i love that 
Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the Hero Show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I do want to talk a little bit about something uh, very practical. Um, so I call this the uh, hero tool belt. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like every superhero has their tool belt with awesome gadgets, like a batter rank or, you know, a laser eyes or a big magical hammer that you throw and come back. Uh, talk about one or two your business every day. It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to your marketing tools to something you use to deliver your clients, maybe your own mnemonic or something that you think is essential to getting your job done every day. Sure, sure. There's a couple things that come to mind. Um, one is I am a huge fan of analog tools. <laughs> I have digital ones too, but I have, and it's actually right next to me here, I have this Franklin planner. I'll, I'll show it up on the screen. So I'm not just making this up. It's a compact Franklin planner that I got, I think originally, uh, first year I had this was 1995. And I have all of my appointments also online and stuff like our appointments and stuff but i still there's something about putting things to paper with a pen which i have right here having taken notes and some of the things you've been saying it just wires things into my brain differently and reviewing it so i'm and i still do a daily planning and a weekly planning process that's based on the kind of the franklin planner method and for me that is about sitting through i've got kind of my big projects and then taking a look at day by day how can i carve out time and by the way, this is a sort of a tool that's not a tool because it is involved. I, and my wife laughs at me because if she wants to get a hold of me, good luck because I have no ringers on my phone, no notification. Like I turn notifications on everything off because I don't want to be. I don't want to be disturbed. I have enough busyness going on in my head of what I'm trying to get done. I don't need more input. I'll get to the input later. I'll check my voicemail. I'll check my email, but just dedicated swaths of time because otherwise. And there's all this great research about, you know, people that it takes about 19 minutes to get refocused after you've been interrupted. So our attention and our time is our most valuable resource. So I have this planner. I have a whole system by which I go through to focus on what are the big, like you were saying, what matters the most so I can go through that. And then there are times where I go, okay, block up, you're done. So that's it. So that's one tool. The other thing that I just found too is now I, I happen to use HubSpot, which is a CRM system. 
um, their, their, their sales forces, other things, because I just found the other key thing with growing a business with, I can't remember stuff and I needed a good system to be able to follow up, to set reminders and just so using it, whether it's following up, setting tasks and just being able to track stuff. I think without a CRM system that you will use and it can be used for a lot of things. Um, I mean, a lot of people know this stuff, but it's just, I, I can't imagine functioning. <laughs> I just, I just can't. It's like life's too big. There's too many people. There's hundreds of contacts, thousands of contacts. You know, it's like, how are you going to do that? So those are a couple of the tools that I found really useful. I'll throw out a third tool that really helped me when I was writing my book, because like many other people, it's really easy to get distracted when you have a computer that you're got an internet connection on. It's an app called Freedom. I don't know if you know this one, Richard, but basically no. you, you, you purchase it. Um, and what you can do is you can set it so you can lock yourself out of certain websites and you cannot access them for certain periods of time. You can do it. You can access, like lock yourself out. So for me, I know when I start to get, if I'm writing, especially first draft stuff, I get anxious and uh, stress, tension. Part of me wants that release and I want to go and like check the, 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 the news on a website or check social media. So I would just YouTube videos. Watch some YouTube. So, yeah, so I would lock myself out of YouTube. I'd lock myself out of Facebook. I'd lock myself out of some news websites that I would follow because what it made me to do is to stick with where I was. Like I just had no escape. And it's, and it's funny because it's, it's called the app is called Freedom, <laughs> ironically, because the idea is that you're free to actually get deeper, more creative, meaningful work done. And I mean, so many people I meet and where I work, so many leaders I coach, I say, you know, if I'm in a room with 20 people, I'll say, so raise your hand if you're working on a project right now that would benefit from you having two hours of completely uninterrupted thinking time just to sit with this issue, this problem and work at it. Every hand in the room goes up and I say, okay, raise your hand if in the last two weeks you've had two hours of uninterrupted time to focus on a project like this. Maybe if I'm lucky, one hand goes up, maybe two, that's it. So I think this is the thing that is so in demand. We are so caught up in the treadmill of everything coming at us. So what can we do so that we can be much more responsive instead of reactive to the world that we're working and living in? Yeah, yeah. And I know with things like, you know, I don't have mine on right now, but the uh, Apple Watch and other things like it um, in your phone, there's always notifications going off, bells singing. And, you know, if you're like me, I live in a uh, 40-foot bus with four children, a dog and a cat and a wife, right? There's always demands on the attention as well as, you know, yeah. staff and clients and, you know, the, our, our world is literally burning down around us in a few areas of our country, right? Yeah. There's stuff going on and it's really hard to, to take that time and, yeah. and focus on things. And I know one of the things that I have done, um, and this was for, for me, it worked really well. So like, um, my wife is like you, like, yes, yeah, planner. If I put it in the planner, it's gone. Like, it's out of my head, and I'll yeah. never see it again, and might as well just have not done it at all. Right. So I can't use a paper planner. I actually, I'm, I'm the kind of person, like, if I get mailed a check, I have to give it to my wife because I'll accidentally throw it away. Right. Um, so, like, physical mediums don't do good for me. Um, so one of the things that uh, um, I bought was I bought the, uh, the iPad um, as a secondary working computer, um, but not not because it's really good at doing work, but because it's restrictive. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it does a couple of things for me. So the first one is that it doesn't have the LTE or cell phone connection or whatever. So it's got, mm -hmm. it's got the Wi-Fi connection. And so if I hop out of the RV and you know go down to the little you know the 
constantly work on what's there in front of me. Um, and so that's one of them. It's like, it lets me, you know, sort of cut the world off. Um, and then it has the, um, the single tasking, which is the same sort of thing, right? You know, on my computer, like literally right now, if I hit this little window thing, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, and like 12 different things open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's just the nature of working on a computer and getting kind of work done. That. And the iPad doesn't do that. Like, it's like you have this thing and it's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, the secondary to that is I have been working on being more of a CEO and less of a do it myself. Um, and one of the things that's really, really easy to do on the iPad is to help manage your team. But it's really, really hard to do the work that they're, they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've been trying to spend more and more time using that as my primary device because it forces me to, to your point, focus on things I need to be doing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a lot of this is trial and error, right? Trying to figure out which things are going to work well for you and talking to other friends like, Hey, what tools do you like? What are you using? What are you not using? How do you, you know, and always swapping, swapping ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, you know, I know this is, it's it's a huge thing, but it's it's the calendar. Your calendar is like, I live and die by my calendar and my, my family, not like my immediate family, but like my, my parents and parents, you know, brothers, stuff like that. They're all thinking I'm crazy because they're not entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. But my wife's gotten to the point where she's like, yeah, if it's like, if it's not in the calendar, it's not happening kind of thing. Right. And the more people I talk to on this show, the more you realize how common that is with entrepreneurs that we live and die by our calendars. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because there's so much, there's so much going on every day because we're constantly planting new seeds, watering them, nurturing them. You know, there's just so many things that you're doing at various times. So last couple of questions here, your own personal heroes, right? So every uh, every hero has their mentors, Brodohead Gandalf, Luke Ed Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, Spider-Man has Uncle Ben. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real-life speakers, you know, mentors, uh, authors, peers who were just a couple of years ahead of you? How important were they when you've accomplished so far? Great question. I've had a lot. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of mentors. Um, a lot of them are people you wouldn't have heard of. Um, uh, they have been people who, and it's funny because I get asked about mentors. Like, like, do I go to somebody and say, will you be my mentor? And I said, whoa, that's a lot of pressure. Like, don't put the big capital M on it. Does I keep it lowercase m? And I wouldn't even get into the, would you be my mentor? Because what does that mean as opposed to what do you want mentoring around? Like, could you help me with it? Talk about the subject. But so for me, there's a few people that have certainly mentors, uh, personal people I've known. And I write about some of these guys in, in my book. I have a guy named Gary Zaremba, who I've known for years. I still reach out to who's older than me and has a very successful construction business. And I've asked him a lot of questions along the way. Uh, a mentor named Jeff Altman, who I write about in the book as well, who I've known has mentored me a lot around coaching and leadership and thinking about uh, putting my brand out there in all sorts of ways. So those are two that come to mind. In terms of some other heroes, uh, Jim Coozes and Barry Posner are the co-authors of a book, The Leadership Challenge, which I highly recommend. Um, and the reason it's it's one of the best leadership books, has, and it's one of the most popular. It's now, I think, in its sixth edition. They've sold millions and millions of copies. Is What they did is they took leadership off of the pedestal, and they democratized it, and they broke it down into the behaviors that we were talking about earlier. And so they're heroes of mine in terms of the commitment to great storytelling, great research, and great application of the principles. And so they inspired me in many ways. In fact, a thrill for me was that they both agreed to endorse my book. It's like, wow, I got, I got like 
get to connect with them. I haven't met them in person, but we've had some wonderful correspondences. And I just think the world of the work that they do. And they inspire me because I've watched their talks and, and listened to them. And they inspire me to be focused on helping people. Like if you said, why do you do what you do? Yeah, would I like to be recognized for the work that I do? But I'd be more jazzed by helping people. Like ultimately, like I said earlier, seeing the, 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 the lights go on as people kindle that fire, there's really no greater gift than that. And so people like Jim Cousins and Barry Posner have inspired me to keep going and just helping people to become the leaders that our world really needs. I always, I always love just listening to that question because everyone has their story of, you know, who their heroes are. Uh, and sometimes they're famous people. Most of the time, they're just other people in their life yeah. who stepped up when you needed it, whether they yeah. know it or not. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that, Richard, because actually Jim Cousins and Barry Posner did some research around this whole question of who are the leaders that you admire the most. And it turns out it's not the... Martin Luther King Jr.'s, Nelson Mandela's, Mother Teresa's of the world. It turns out who are the leaders that you admire and that you have influenced you the most. It turns out to be my fourth grade teacher, you know, my grandmother, right? It's, it's, the, it's my basketball coach. It's those people who have had a personal, real relationship with you. They're the ones who actually have, not only have they impacted you, but to me, that tells me, wow, that's the kind of impact that I am having on somebody else. Not that I could have. The fact is, I am having. Now, the question is, what kind of impact is it that I'm actually creating? Yeah. That, that every single person I talk to, that is an impact that I'm creating. The question is, what kind that, will it be? That is the, uh, the reason why I ask that question, is to help more people realize that you are a hero in someone else's life, whether or not you know it. Yeah. Um, right? And I remember one of my mentors said to me when I was, when I was a young kid, actually, I say young kid, I was like 17 or 18. Um, and I, I, I say he's saying it to me, but he was actually saying it to an audience of people. But mm -hmm. I feel like he's calling me out directly. He said, your yeah. kids someday are going to have a hero. And a damn well better be you. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, and and it, was, it was just a, uh, uh, it was something that clicked in my head and realized that, hey, you know what? If there were people in your life that you're going to influence. And you can live your life in a way that you're worthy of the influence you're going to have. Yeah. I love that. That's, 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 that's impactful. It damn well better be you. That's great. Thank you. Damn well better be you. So last question for you here is your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman um, never kills his enemies. He only brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, let's talk about top one or two principles you use regularly in your life. Maybe something you wish you knew when you first got started on this whole hero's journey. Mm. Um, a couple of them. I mean, the, the first one that comes to mind is personal accountability, that my word is my bond. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, that I honor my commitments. I feel doubly responsible for that one because I feel like, look, I'm teaching people these principles. And if I don't model them, this whole thing is a giant waste of time. It's like I'm, I'm a snake oil salesman. I mean, I get that. You know, it's easier to talk about. So I feel like I've got to live this stuff. So for me, it's about personal accountability. That is by far the first thing. You know, I love the quote from Albert Schweitzer, who said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. <laughs> so it's just like how, so I just know that I have to walk my talk and talk my walk. And if those things aren't congruent, I'm just out of luck. So that's the first thing I'd say. Um, 
And then I think another principle for me is empathy. I'm really, I've gotten really in touch with this one in the last few years. And it's really this year, 2020 with the pandemic and everything. You know what, at our core, we are human beings who are very emotional, who happen to think. I don't think we're thinkers who happen to feel. I mean, I'm just more and more convinced of that the older I get. So for me, empathy, I define it as showing people that you understand them and care how they feel. I think that is, if we're going to solve any of these problems, whether it's racial injustice, whether it's coronavirus pandemic, whether it's climate change, it's going to start by being able to take some perspective and step into other people's shoes. And it's going to take some listening and being able to not just listening cognitively, but actually feeling what people feel. And so that's something that's really important to me in what I do and how I teach and how I interact with people. So we'll leave it with accountability and empathy as t- two of my top yeah, superhero yeah, codes. I, I always, I love the, uh, the empathy one in particular, because my, my best friend and business partner, in a lot of areas, that's his superpower is empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting how that, that superpower of his drives a lot of his business decisions that he makes, mm-hmm. but where like a normal person like myself, has to think about and work at empathy. Yeah. Um, it just comes so naturally to him that he, it's so easy to put yourself into someone else's shoes and see the world from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's interesting because I say it's his superpower because it comes naturally to him, something that he's just good at. Right. Yeah. But it's not an unattainable skill. It's something that you can learn and it's something that you can get good at. Um, and it's something that you can and should practice. And the more you practice it, the easier it is to do all the things we've talked about in the show, everything from, you know, learning how to tell your stories, right? If you tell your stories, right, you have to tell your story in the way that the other person is going to hear, right? Yeah. The way that they're going to feel about it. Um, and I remember, um, if you've ever read uh, Orson Scott Card, he writes the Ender's Game series. No, I haven't. Yeah. If you haven't, the Ender's, the Ender's Game book is uh, um, it's one of the only sci-fi novels that has sold out every year since it uh, started printing. Um, and like, wow. I, I almost guarantee you, whatever print that you're on, around this year is sold out, right? It's sold out every year since 1978 or whatever. Um, and it was uh, listed as having the best opening line of all of literature. Um, so anyway, it's a good book. Um, fair warning, if you pick it up, you may not sleep. You'll read the whole thing all the way through the night. But besides the point, in the back end of the book, he has a little a chapter where he writes as the author um, of the experience of writing a story. Um, and one of the things he said that really, really stuck out to me is that it, it, it's the whole empathy piece is that a story is only ever half done, right? When I write it, it's, it's half of a story. It becomes a story, it becomes alive when the other person hears it or reads it or interacts with the story, right? Because it comes alive in their head. Um, so the, the whole idea of empathy is realizing that anything that you're doing, right? Whether it's writing a story or telling a story or teaching, you're only ever doing half of the work. The other half of it is with the other person, the other person that you're interacting with. Um, and that's where the empathy comes in, is learning how to be in that other person's shoes and understand that they have just as much part of whatever the experience is as you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how do you, as you're building out whatever content or product or service, whatever you're trying to do, how do you keep that other person in mind and more in heart as you're considering all that and thinking, you know, what would their experience be receiving this and how can you close that gap as best as possible? Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, that is a wrap on our interview. Um, and again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Elaine, but I do have 
Um, one thing I finish all of my interviews with is this real simple thing I call it the Heroes Challenge, and it's basically a selfish little thing I do at the end of all of my interviews um, as a way to get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine, and why should they come on the show and share their story? Oh, um, first person that comes to mind is a guy named Ed, and Ed is all about being brave. Um, he's um, interested. He loves to listen and tell stories about bravery and just what are the things that get in the way of that. And I think that courage and bravery is such a, an undervalued skill in today's world. And so I think he'd be great to talk about these things. Awesome. So we'll reach out after the show and see if we can get an introduction to Ed. For sure. Um, so for the send-off in comic books, there's always the crowd of people who stand and cheer and clap um, for the hero who has done their heroic deeds. So on this show, our analog of that, or was it analog or analogous? I can't remember what the word is. Yeah. Um, is, is basically where can people find you? All right, where can they light up the bat signals of you know what, Elaine, I would like to. Um, learn some leadership in my organization. Where can we uh, where can we do that? And I think more importantly than where they can do that is who are the right types of people to raise their hands and say, you know what, yes, I would really like to uh, speak to them. Great. Yeah, let's start with that second question first. So yeah, if you are interested in taking the next step on moving from being a high performer to a high performing leader, if you have beliefs that you want to take a look at, your mindset and your skill set about what that means, um, that's the kind of people I'm working with. I work with people who are clearly ready to take that next step and are serious, whether that's individuals and or teams or organizations, whether that's coaching, speaking, training, or consulting. And if you want to reach me, the easiest way to go is check out my book's website page, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. You can read all about the book. You can look, read the testimonials. You can also download the first chapter of the book for free right there. That page is linked to my alainhunkins.com website, which is A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S.com. And about the, on that site, you can learn all about the various services I offer, some of which I just mentioned, as well as one of the things that Richard and I were talking about before the, we, we went on air is I'm launching a new project on October the 5th. And there's information about this on the website. It is a online 30-day leadership challenge. It's going to be using a technology platform in just a few minutes a day, helping a small group of committed leaders who are interested in bettering themselves, specific practices, using principles from habit formation, positive psychology, and gamification over the course of 30 days. And you can read all about that on the website on the 30-day leadership challenge. And as I mentioned to Richard as well, is I am willing to gift three listeners here with spots if they are interested in being as part of that challenge is what you can do is you can email me with your name and your email address and in the memo put down that you heard me um, put down hero show on the subject you need to put your name and your email address and send that to alain at alainhunkins.com that's a-l-a-i-n at a-l-a-i-n-h-u-n-k-i-n-s.com and anyway and we will do if we get lots of people we'll do a drawing and have a few people if it turns out that we get only three people, then you'll have spots. But I'm offering three complimentary spots for people who want to be a part of this leadership challenge journey and become better leaders. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Alan. It's uh, really, 
really kind of you to make that offer to our audience. Hopefully people will take that one if you're um, listening to this. Um, we'll have all the details, including a link to the email address in the show notes for this episode. So you can head on the website and grab that with, um, and so you can email Alana see if you can get into uh, that class for free. Um, so that's really, really cool. And again, Alana, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate getting to hear your story and getting to chat with you about some of these leadership principles. It's been really fascinating. Um, so again, thank you. And before we hit this little stop record button, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for the audience? Oh, well, first of all, I want to thank you, Richard. This has been terrific. I just love the depth of which we've been talking about all this. And I'd say in terms of final words of wisdom, you know, we talked earlier about consistency. Um, I'd say as you are moving forward on this journey, it is not a straight line. Just know that it's going to go all over the place. It's going to two steps forward, one step back. But the key is to keep going, is to keep going. And not only just to keep going, is find allies, find support of people who can support you on this. I find, you know, entrepreneur, sometimes we think of the hero as being this solitary person. But I mean, look at the Avengers, like look how much they do when they work together better to kind of switch our switch back to superheroes. Yeah, yeah. So, so find your team of Avengers to take this journey with, because not only will you get farther, you're going to have a lot more fun doing it. Yeah. And if you watch any of the superhero shows on TV and Netflix and other things, like, what is it, The Flash and Arrow, they all have, it's like, Flash is the main hero, but they got his team of people back in the support room that are always communicating with them, watching them, take care of them. Every Batman has his Robin, right? Yeah, exactly. You've got to have a team. Have a team. So, again, sure. thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Richard.